Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Canucks Talk here on everyone, Sportsnet 650. Log on to the stream and check out Jamie's like curl up with me by the fire sweater. Yeah. Like, like are you saying what's up or are you trying to romance us alpine style, my friend? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not with you. Would, would love to curl up with my wife by the fire. That sounds well, delightful. No, I, I, what's our, wrong with that? And our listeners. Sounds great. Um, not like really, metaphorically speaking, you know, to like provide comfort sure. during difficult times. Um, what I love about that sweater, though. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Was that it came with a bear rug. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. I what, wish. What great value. I wish. <laughs> that, that, would, that would have been even better. Seriously, though, I'm also in, in like a fleece. So it's like truly we could just be like. We're, we're going to the ski, <laughs> ski lodge right after this. <laughs> we could be having some beers up in Pemberton or something. <laughs> or or Pemby is the people who yes. say what's up call it. That's the, uh, that's the vibe. Hold on. I want to <laughs> get more into what's up. But in just a second, <laughs> pay, you got to pay some bills. Yeah, Canucks okay. Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, uh, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Somebody texted in yesterday to say that, hey, Jamie, you haven't used What's Up to open the show in a while. Drance <laughs> is in your head. And I replied to him. I was like, no, no, I did in the morning show on Monday. And the guy got back and he was like, I just went back and checked. No, you didn't. I was like, oh, man, I really thought I did. I was like, okay, I got to get it today then. I got to get it in today. Uh, and also somebody, uh, an acquaintance of yours, uh, DM'd me. Uh, yesterday on Twitter to say that you're dead wrong about what's up. So I'm the, like the, someone I actually yes, know in real someone life. Someone you know. I'll tell you who it was. Hey, after. Kieran, stop. <laughs> stop <laughs> messaging Jamie and siding with him. But the, you uh, the, the movement is gaining steam here. <laughs> it was him, right? No, it wasn't. Wow. Okay. Um, I want to go a little inside baseball. And before we get All into right. the game last night, I just want to tell. Well, yeah, no. It. Hold on. Before we go, this is the great. This is the best time of year. It's trade deadline season. There's rumors, there's reports, there's roster moves. It's tons of People fun. are overreacting to everything. I love it. So we're going to start with that. Then we'll get into the game at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Sounds good. I just want to tell people something about our producer, Dom. Okay? So Champions League has been on on Tuesdays and Wednesdays as we've done the show for the last two weeks. And Dom's been making Champions League bets, like picks, that I've been tailing. Okay? And he's five for six. Five for six over the first three days, three Champions League match days. And then yesterday I messaged him and I'm like, what are your picks for Wednesday? And he got cocky and he came up with a dual same game parlay. So if he wins this one, if he goes seven for eight with two like anytime goal scorer Holland plus Man City win. And then in the other one, it's Dzeko to score anytime and Inter to win. Of course, you can find those bets at play now if you want to tail along with us. Um, I'm going to be genuinely impressed. I just wanted to let our audience know that Dom was on a hot streak and that today me, Dom, and uh, and producer Lena are all rolling with a team bet, which you can follow along as we as we broadcast yes. with. Uh, go visit playnow.com slash sports. And, of course, uh, must be 18 or 19 plus 19 to play. 19 plus to play. Yeah, use your game don't, sense. Don't lower the limit there on your My own. My bad. Um, yes, it's very exciting. Dom, the, uh, the champion Dom's league a sharp. betting savant. Dom's a sharp. I just wanted to call him out. Very good. Congratulations to Dom, and we'll see how it goes. We got Man City and uh, <laughs> probably and Red badly, Bull but like, but he got cocky. He got this is a <laughs> like usually when he sends them to me, I'm like I'm happy to tell this. He sent me this one, I was like, oh man, all right, just donating to the Dom Fund. Minor Matt in Abbotsford <laughs> says, "What's up with Shen?" 
So do, you, do we want to get into it, right into it? Luke Shen, the news was developing as we were on the air yesterday. Obviously flew home, didn't play. Trade-related reasons, he's going to be sitting out here. We don't know if a trade is imminent, what stage it's at, what's what's the latest? I'm... My expectation is that we're going to get a Shen deal sooner than later, obviously. But it's been 12 days since Jacob Chikorin last played. Yeah. He he got shut down for so long that the club allowed him to rejoin practice. Gavrikov got shut down shortly thereafter. And it feels to me like there's this market for defenders that's just a bunch of people like staring around circling one another. As opposed to anyone sort of making the first move. This feels like a, one of those, we're waiting for the first thud. We're waiting for the first domino to fall. And it, it just feels to me like Shen might be, particularly if Boston's as involved as everyone I'm talking to around the league thinks they are, that Shen might be part of, you know, a, a will they or won't they on the left side, right? In, in the event that they're... Now, I heard Rick Dollywall and Donnie and Dolly float the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yes. Uh, Brian Burke, of course, demonstrative and upset in the Pittsburgh press box following the physical loss to the New York Islanders. Uh, that Islanders team is built to push people around. Uh, Burke is built to overreact to his team getting pushed around. And so that's an interesting one for me, particularly given the connections, the close understanding or the, the deep understanding that obviously Alvin Rutherford, but also Derek Clancy, assistant general manager, would have of the Penguins system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I heard that, and that sort of made my ears perk up. I, I said on the VanCast yesterday, I'd heard that a mystery team in the East might be involved. I, I couldn't pin it down. The moment Dolly Wall said Pittsburgh, I was like, oh, that makes so yeah, much Yeah, and, and I... So we can get through, go through this exercise a little bit, and we'll play uh, a clip from Elliot Friedman talking about this on the Jeff Merrick show. But when you mentioned the thing about another team in the East, okay, you kind of start to go, who are the contenders in the East that we haven't already heard in connection with Luke Shen? Because, of course, we've heard Tampa, Boston, yeah. Toronto. And you go through, and there's not, like, the Rangers don't really look like a fit with their depth down the right side. Carolina. You know, Carolina, I don't Jersey. see it. New Jersey, don't see it. Nope. You're kind of left with Pittsburgh as the other team. If you're talking about... Eastern Conference playoff teams that might be interested, and just to tie uh, although, another part although of they, New Jersey might have interest as being like, we know this guy can caddy a lefty Hughes on the back end. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like an appealing prospect. Yes, uh, trade for Luke Shen, sign him to an extension, and then use use that to try to get Quinn Hughes to force his way to yeah, New Jersey. The, the, the Luke and Luke pair. <laughs> Would would be an interesting. Uh, but one. one other one other thing that Rick Dollywall mentioned on Donnie and Dolly today was that there's the possibility that the Canucks might take on, let's say, a slightly lesser pick and a B prospect. And again, so that ties sure. into the Pittsburgh thing with me because, as you said, there's still guys in that system that, are, of course, were drafted by Rutherford and Alvin and Clancy, who they presumably have a lot of time for and a lot of knowledge of. So I don't want to like analyze a trade before it happens. Sure, but one thing that I like about hearing that is when you combine that with what I'm hearing, which is that uh, over the course of this process, there's also been an effort to fold Shen into larger deals, Mm -hmm. whether that involves the Canucks eating money or sending money out. I think that paints for me an early portrait of flexibility. And I'm really curious to see if the Canucks can pull something creative out here, right? Because as I've been talking about ad nauseum, Two main trade assets remain for the Canucks ahead of the deadline. One is Luke Shen, and one is the seven-ish million in cap space. It, you know, if there's a way of 
bundling or as Dom would say, parlaying um, those two sort of factors together to, to create value for the club. Like that'd be fabulous. That would be the sort of move, the sort of thinking that this organization's desperate for as you look to salvage this season. So I'm, I'm like buoyed by some of what is being reported by Dolly wall and some of what I'm hearing um, from within the industry as well. We'll see where this lands and we'll see if it drags out and is in fact connected to the overall stalemate um, that, that we, we appear to be enduring. Well, that's on one the of the big blue line trademark. That's here. one of the big questions I have. Is this related to the Gavrikov Chikrin stuff, which which themselves could be related, right? And that's something that Elliot well, Friedman has speculated. You know, does Boston trade for Gavrikov and then Columbus turns around and use some of those assets to trade for Jacob Chikrin? Are those situations related? If Boston then needs to clear space but they're interested in Shen, but maybe the Canucks help them take space. Does that become then another domino? It's it's That's all just kind of putting the pieces together. No, it's no one's, made, no one's made that connection explicitly, but it adds up to a certain extent, and it's just a really kind of complicated dynamic if there is anything like that going on. Yeah, and I mean, I said it on the show yesterday, like the Gavrikov-Boston thing, There, there's people in the know within this business who are just like, oh yeah, that's it, 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 a matter when. Now, that's probably overstated, mm-hmm. but... You know, it's still a data point I weigh heavily in in sort of when when I heard Boston still in on Shen, you, it's impossible to think about that and not connect the two. hundred percent. Right? Like the, right. So we'll see sort of exactly where um, this all goes. Let, but let's get an update from uh, Elliot Freeman on with Jeff Merrick earlier today about where things stand with Luke Shen, why it's kind of got to this point where Shen flew home yesterday, and what the potential return or price could be. Here is Elliot Freeman. I, I heard last night as I went to bed that they hadn't picked the final team yet, but it's like the one thing I was told was that last week the offers were not good enough and now they are like we're we're getting to the point where this is this is going to happen um you know one team that i think was interested there they would kind of be a mid third rounder and i think they were going to get beat they seem to think that they were going to get beat on the offer so we're looking at like a higher third rounder or maybe potentially a, uh like a like a late second rounder for this so We'll see uh, where this goes, but I had heard there were still multiple teams in. Like, like I'm going through my list, right? Like, I, I, mm. I think, you know, Calgary's been interested. Boston's been interested. Boston's just a really confusing team to figure out right now. I, I, it's, 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 just, it's just wild trying to figure out what they're up to. Um, you know, I wondered about Colorado. Uh, simply because of all the injuries there, but I'm told it's not them. Um, you know, I've also wanted, like, Ken Weeby, our, uh, Ken Weeb, our, our teammate, wondered if, you know, Winnipeg yeah. made sense. So I think it's down to, I think it's down to a few teams. You know, the tough thing for the Leafs is, like, I think they've had interested, uh, interest, but I just don't know if they have the draft capital right now to do it. And also now, if they're trading for Shen, Someone is coming off the roster, right? So that'll be interesting yep. to see where or if that goes. So that's Elliot Friedman earlier today on the Jeff Merrick show. Lots in there about where things stand. And just to Luke Shen for a late fourth yeah. or like for sorry, for an early fourth slash third as a valuation always sort of flew in the face of everything we've seen in terms of deadline prices for 
depth defenseman with Shen's profile and resume, right? Like this is the player type that people overpay for. We've been saying it on this yep. program for months. Um, Jeff Merrick's been saying it on this program for months. Uh-huh. So we'll see where this goes. But hearing today, as Shen gets pulled from the lineup from the estimable Elliot Friedman, that there's teams getting priced out at a at a mid range third round pick, so middle of the round third round pick. That's Ma- the key. Makes a lot there. more sense than than what we were talking about on Friday, where I was swimming. I felt like I was swimming against a current of. <laughs> Of wildness, like just something that didn't make sense to me. Well, so. and the, and the context there was was that maybe that's what teams were offering last week, but then the offers started to get more realistic. And hey, boom! There you go. Shen is being held out for trade reasons once the offers get uh, to that neighborhood. The, the other interesting thing about that for me is okay, if a mid third rounder is not going to get it done, if if a team is willing to offer that, but they feel like they're going to get beat, so that means you're either looking at a second rounder or like a third round pick from a team that's going to be picking right at the beginning of the third round or Mm. third round plus a prospect, something like that. But it is interesting because you start to look at some of the teams that might be interested. Boston doesn't have a second round pick in either of the next two drafts. Their third obviously is going to be at the very, very back end of the third round. Tampa doesn't have a second this year. Uh, The Leafs, I believe, don't have a second this year or next. Again, their third round pick obviously The Bruins don't have a second. Yeah, the the Bruins don't have second this year or next. So you start to go through it and – there's not a Pittsburgh is one team that kind of meets the might be interested, could give a second round pick that would be, you know, middle to back end of the second round pick. That's interesting. But I still think Boston makes a ton of sense. If it's not going to happen with just one pick, then you start to wonder, okay, well, could it be they're taking Craig Smith back? They're taking Mike Riley back. And that gets them more than just, you know, the Boston's third round pick. It starts to get really complicated. That's another reason why I wonder maybe it's connected to something bigger, right? If some of the teams that are interested don't just have that easy second-round pick to make it a really smooth one-for-one transaction. But I think that's a really fascinating uh, glimpse into what the price is going to be for Shen from uh, from Elliott Friedman. Well, and there's, like, I mean, if you're get so long as you're getting a U-22 guy, you know, there's all mm-hmm. sorts of ways to make the, the B prospect hold up. I think where that gets a little bit dicey, you know, like the Canucks only have three open contract slots at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think it would be in their interests to figure out how to open a few more, particularly given that when you're bad. Okay. So like there's lots of advantages that accrue to the player accumulation process when you're bad. One of them is that in NCAA free agency, when you're pitching a Malinowski, uh, Malinowski, who's the right-handed yep. defenseman, or or Livingston, who's mm-hmm. who's out of um, Makota, right, and is a local kid, six-two right-handed, yeah, Creston, but BC local, yeah. What did I say? You said local. Creston's pretty far away, is what I was saying. He's from BC. Is it from Creston? He's, I believe he's from Creston. I'm pretty sure. Okay, my bad. Sorry. Right. I thought he was more local than that. He um, maybe he played maybe he Langley moved here at Langley some point. River. All right, fair enough. So that's where I was coming fair at enough. it from. Um. Yeah, Kootenay's okay. <laughs> he's local to he's <laughs> local, local to BC, local but... to Banff. Um, okay, so fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, considering the Zach Benson people get mad, I don't when know I why describe... I had to get pedantic about that. No, but... I appreciate that you did. I would have done it with you. Pedantic on Canucks talk. On Canucks talk, I never. Huh. An outrage. This show's really gone downhill. Um, okay. One of the advantages that you have in recruiting college players is you can offer them 
their NHL debut, right? Several weeks of an NHL salary, mm-hmm. or or at least a few days, which, by the way, makes a huge difference. And adds up in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, and th- look, that can be a deal breaker. Like that can give you a major edge over the teams for whom you'd sign, and like you know, the deal would start a year from now, and you sign an ATO to go play for their American League team. It's like, hey, look, like you. You can come play in the NHL right now to finish off your season, make a bunch, make a whack of cash, and get that experience and have that like fantastic day for your family. Yeah, um, you know that's a that's a good feather in your cap. You'd love to see the team have the flexibility to do it a few times over, right? Like, and honestly, this is something the Benning regime actually did pretty well, even if a lot of those guys ended up being they didn't Griffin end up panning Molino. out. But yeah, and Josh Tevis and yeah. et cetera. But, but still, but. You know, there were there were some interesting Brogan Rafferty, but there was like at the end of the day, they always got their college guys signed, and those guys were impact players, Hughes, Demko, Besser. And they did find a good one in Stetcher. That guy's had a long NHL career. You know, you, your mileage may vary depending on how thirsty you are to defend indefensible moves this franchise has made over the past four years, Lee. <laughs> but like seriously, that's a fine. That's a coup. So You'd like to see the Canucks find a way to to carve out an additional, uh, you know, getting getting a guy like um, the the Boston the Boston Boston has a winger. He's a Russian guy, but he played for the Ohio State Buckeyes, which is sure. an interesting profile. Uh, he's sort of a guy I like on in that system. Uh, Gregory Merkulov, you know, like twenty two years old, pretty close to point per game in the in his first AHL season. Like that's an interesting profile, mm-hmm. right? Or or a guy like Hollander. From Pittsburgh. From Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's that's the name that stands out to me. Like, 22-year-old Swedish center. They picked him in the second round. Sure. You, you scoring get, at the AHL this year. Yeah. You get one of those guys in a fourth or a third, like, that's fine. Yeah. That's yeah, fine. Absolutely. Um, and that, uh, there's so many different permutations this could take with their cap space, right? And with now that there are teams who, you know, I don't want to call it, quote-unquote, a bidding war, but obviously the market is heated up to the point where the Canucks are going to get – what they want or something very close something to what decent, they want yeah. here. There's a lot of different permutations uh, on how it can go. Well, and the, and the, I mean the best thing they could do is take money back, and and maybe even money with some term, right? Like the Mike Riley one stands mm-hmm. out to me because that's like the Canucks paid a second to move a 1.4 million dollar commitment into you know basically when the net difference between Dickinson and Stillman's deal, yeah. And no one bad an eyelash. It was like, that's the cost of doing business. I mean, did it make sense for the team? Like, that was some of the conversation. But no one bad an eyelash about that price paid. So so put that into context, right? Like, if you're taking a $3 million contract that extends into next season for the Boston Bruins, while also giving them a player that they'd consider a, a upgrade now, you know, does Shen's value become two seconds or... First plus. Yeah, that, and that's, Boston, where, that's where you start to cook. Boston is really interesting to me because a lot of the reporting we're hearing about their intentions are they fully recognize how special that the season is that they're having, right? And how uncertain their future is with the ages of Patrice Bergeron and, and their David contract Krejci. statuses. And, and their contract the contract statuses. status of David Pastner. So they feel... They have a lot of reasons to go all in, such as they can, with the assets and the cap space they have. And I just look at it, and if you are giving them Shen and you're taking salary back to facilitate them making another impact move, what is that worth specifically to Boston this year when they have so much motivation and so much reason to make a big push, right, to kind of to pay it off to their players for having this regular season? And it sounds kind of ridiculous, but... If that's what they need to do to go get Vladislav Gavrikov as well, 
and you're taking that money back and you're even helping them for next year, like maybe it does become a first round pick. They're probably looking at it saying, well, we don't really care about a first round pick that's going to be really bad, even if it is next year and we don't know what's going to happen next year. That's, I, I wonder if that would be a price they're willing to pay. Oh, it sounds kind of absurd, but like if there's any team that's going to do it, that's going to push absolutely all in right now, it's got to be Boston. If there's one team, if there's one team like, okay, what's the, what's secretly, what's the best asset? I'm not saying for Luke Shen. I'm saying just generally secretly, what's the best asset you could get from the Boston Bruins? Their unprotected pick for next year or like for 2025. <laughs> as far down the line. 2026, the Gavin McKenna draft. Let's as, go. As far Put down the, the plan into motion. As far down the line as you can legally have it confer. That's what How we're far about. is that, by the way? I actually you know? don't know. I do. I do need to that, check. That comes up in the NBA, where it's like you well, know, teams so will trade the, like a twenty twenty nine first but round. The pick. NBA has very specific rules because yeah. the Cleveland Cavaliers, one of the worst owners in the history of pro sports, like consistently traded first round picks for like role players. Yeah, to the point where it like seriously damaged the salt, like the, the ability of the franchise to sell uh, until LeBron James basically joined them, and so. Um, they put in a rule, you can't trade consecutive firsts. Yes, which is that's why we got the pick swap innovation. Because they're like, we want to give you extra draft capital. We can't trade this first, so we have to do the pick see, swap. See, I think a pick swap, like, I would love to see an NHL pick swap. Bill Armstrong's going to do it. You know what you do with... Bill, um, I, I promise you he's going to do it. You know what you do with Boston if you get a pick is you do the reverse protection, right? So it's like, it's protected. So you it doesn't transfer. It stays with Boston if it's between like 25 and 30 the, or 32 the first year. And then it's like between 15 and 32. So you're basically like, oh, no, you keep it as long as it's bad. But then eventually it's like unprotected. Oh, right? sure. I mean, if you you could... You've started to see that in the NBA occasionally. The, the, the problem with Boston, and I was having a conversation with this about, about this the other day, like um, sometimes you look at models and we do this a lot. The Carolina model, right? The Toronto model. Yeah. The, the Florida Panthers, you know, like there's all sorts of like models that you can apply from teams. And it's like, I can see lessons here that could be applied by another organization. I see zero from the way the, the Boston <laughs> Bruins have been run. Like there's nothing about what Boston has done over the last decade that I think is even worth trying to replicate. Like, hey, punt on three consecutive first round picks and then nail like sandwiched in between absolutely crushing two other ones and have a forward who somehow gets better at the age of 38. Yeah. Well, and get one of the best wingers in the league in the second round in Brad Marchand. For right. who's who again uh, like keeps improving beyond well, the age well, where you would normally expect that to happen. No, and and don't forget don't forget the have a GM draft and and I I need to look up their draft history so that I can truly nail. But Jeff Gordon ran one Boston Bruins draft, okay? Before Peter Shirelli, like Peter Shirelli's hire mm -hmm. was like complicated, and it took him a while for uh, NHL reasons basically to take over. And and there was one draft that Gordon ran for them, okay? So draft Phil Kessel, Milan Lucic, and Brad Marchand in one single class, and then fire your GM. <laughs> Don't forget that part. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good strategy. <laughs> like, there's <laughs> there's nothing strategy. there's nothing from the Bruins model that I think is like, I mean, it's amazing and I, kudos. I just there's nothing there that I can point to and be like, hey, you could you could mimic that and apply strong lessons from it. Like, I just it works because they're Boston and it works because of Patrice. But yeah, and know. it's funny because 
it, it's also funny because they're amazing. Every successful strategy is contingent on all these other things that are never going to replicate themselves yep. for another franchise, right? So you always have to keep that in mind. Like, okay, there's lessons we can learn from them, but we have to adapt it to these situations. And with Boston, it's just like, I don't know. Just get really lucky. <laughs> in, like, again and again and again. In insanely myriad ways. And yeah. even then, even then, one cup. Right? Like, even then, you make three finals, you win one. Yeah. I mean, it's such a cruel league. In so many ways. That's the latest on Luke Shen. We'll keep you updated as things develop today. Uh, some other interesting moves, a couple of roster moves we'll get into. Uh, ben Hankinson, Brock Besser's agent, with some interesting things to say. So we'll touch on a little bit of that. Plus, yeah, the Canucks, they played a game last night in Nashville. We'll talk about that as well. Keep your thoughts coming in to 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech Studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. NHL trade deadline coverage is brought to you by Maui Jim Sunglasses. Born on the beaches of Hawaii, Maui Jim Sunglasses are designed with polarized plus two lenses that protect eyes from harmful rays and enhance the view. Try on a pair and see for yourself. So a question for you. Okay. Which local Italian-Canadian gentleman is in bigger shambles today as a result of <laughs> Phil Giuseppe being sent to the American Hockey League? Rick Tockett? <laughs> it's, it's, or my nemesis, Dan no, Riccio? No, it's Dan Riccio. No, <laughs> nobody is more down in the dumps right now than Dan Riccio. I guarantee you. Oh, man. He's having a, a couple extra spros to try to pick the energy <laughs> level up right now. What's that? You don't, you don't have an spro? No, of course I oh, have. okay. Like, I'm what? Just, I'm just... I guess it's better than espresso. <laughs> All right. So the Vancouver Canucks have made a transaction. Yes. Not a trade. Well, a roster move. It's a transaction. Yeah, I guess. Philip DiGiuseppe has been loaned to Abbotsford of the American Hockey League. Mm -hmm. Atu Ratu and Guillaume Brisbois have been recalled. What? Just Guillaume Brisbois. He's still here. Still here. Canucks liked him. Like, management was really impressed when he played those games earlier this year. I was year. looking at the, when when he was called up today, I went back. So he first played games for the Canucks in the 2018-2019 season. The list of people from that team who are still with the organization, it's like Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, Quinn Hughes, Luke Shen left and came back, Tanner Pearson, and Guillaume Brisbois. <laughs> That's it. He is hanging on from that, from that group. He was drafted the day after, the day after Brock Besser. Yeah. He is... Close to being one of the longest tenured, like the longest tenured member of of the of the organization. Yeah, uh, from a player personnel standpoint, it's amazing. It really is incredible. Well, and and like across two distinct management groups now, it's like there's still hope for Guillaume Brisbois in the halls of power off Griffith's way. Like truly, I I am not kidding you. They liked what they saw earlier this season, and I won't be stunned if he gets, you know, not like. I, I won't be stunned if he gets games and, and, and a oh, 100%. realistic look. With, with, with where their defense is 
right now and just like the bodies they have the healthy bodies they have on hand it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all so yeah so Brisebois and then um and then that's too and now we understand too why Ekman Larson got put on IR to create the roster space required to replace Luke Shen who is still on the 23-man roster even though he's no longer with the team right Mm -hmm. so it's a it's sort of a dicey moment for the Canucks D. Giuseppe going down obviously not indicative of performance there were waiver eligibility reasons to get him down before he played his tenth game. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll come up. He'll come up after his uh, AHL playoff um, eligibility is secured. One would assume. And Niels Hoaglander, right? You're still four games away from the deadline. Yeah. Niels Hoaglander can't play more than one and be eligible to be papered down easily. So we're still, you know, a few days away from where we'll start to be like, hey, where is Niels Hoaglander without the playoff eligibility explanation being a, a cogent or a potent one. Um, okay. Atu Ratu. We're going to see Atu Ratu play some games for the Vancouver Canucks now, which is exciting. But he hasn't played very well in the American League. It's a little surprising that he was called up. Right? One I think point, that's fair. One point in eight games uh, since he's arrived with Abbotsford. And I don't even bring that up to no, like, no, no. criticize the player Absolutely or the not. acquisition, but it's just we've heard Canucks management, and you look at their track record in Pittsburgh, they're big believers in slow-cooking prospects at the AHL level, right? Make sure, make absolutely sure they're ready before you bring them up to the NHL. And just, again, I'm not I'm not looking all uh, – watching it all of Abbotsford's games and going shift by shift on Aturatu – but the numbers kind of tell the story there, right? It's not as if he's been beating the door down, demanding a chance in the NHL. So I don't have a big issue with it. It's just a little – I was a little surprised that he was the guy they decided to call up. One point in eight games, minus five, which obviously who cares. <laughs> but I'm still bringing it up. And 14 shots. 14 shots in eight games. That's tough. That's uh, Look, it's a tough start to his professional career with this Canucks organization. Um, but we'll see how he does. Mm-hmm. We'll see how he does. Like – I like. I really liked his game when he played at Rogers Arena earlier this season. Scored that goal, um, created off the rush with Ross Johnston and Matt Martin. One of the funniest goals against that the Canucks have surrendered. Like I still, because remember that was like early December, right? And the Canucks. Uh, no, that was early January, I believe. Was pretty it? sure that was when the Islanders were here. Come on, pretty sure. I'm gonna check because I don't believe you. January 3rd. Wow. January 3rd. Nailed it. Anyway. Okay. So the Canucks were, but there was something about, I remember like when, when you make Ross Johnston and Matt Martin look like they're the ice capades off the rush. Like I remember being mad about it the next day on the air. Yeah. Yeah. I think I yelled. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm sure you did. <laughs> Wouldn't so, surprise me. So anyway, I'm look, uh, I'm not, I'm not taking it. Like Aturatu is still so young. That his American League, like he's Danila Klimovich's age. Yeah. And think about how we always talk about and caption Danila Klimovich, like how many eight game stretches with one assist in which he was like regularly benched does Danila Klimovich have? And we're like, well, he's 20, right? I mean, we, we got to extend the same thing to Ratu. And the fact remains that this is a guy who at a very young age, um, you know, has still been relatively productive in the A. To this point. I mean, 0.5 points when you're 19 and 20, that's fine. That's totally fine. So, 
I'm still interested to see what he has to offer, but I, I do suspect that this is more like uh, we we have to have someone replace D. Giuseppe. Like I, I legitimately think the Canucks are proceeding with their AHL playoff success, like a, a pretty high priority. Well, and that I was almost wondering if this was because you look at it, they do have a vet right in Justin Dowling, but was no, the, but Dowling might as well be on the moon. Well, but no, but my and is it almost a case of? We don't want to upset Abbotsford by bringing by bringing up a player, a vet like Justin Dowling, who plays such big key minutes for them and produces for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's almost like we're actually going to go farther down the depth chart in Abbotsford because we want to ensure that Abbotsford keeps rolling and keeps setting up playoff success. No, I think they just want to get a look at that's fair. at the guy and um and you know give him a taste and and let him know that there's still faith in him despite the tough start. Right? You talked about how he struggled. Right? Get him up. Get him working with with Rick Tockett. Maybe put him in a decent situation to succeed and then send him back down with some, you know, pep in his step, mm-hmm. as it were. It also, um, it's just another great uh, indicator, as we've heard Rick Tockett emphasize so many times, that results not super important. <laughs> they're they're not calling no. the guy that they think is going to help them win games right now up. They're calling the guy who they think maybe uh, they can help develop well, a little bit. And l- let me tell you, right, like, what's happening in Abbotsford from the perspective of player agents, family advisors, people who have, um, you know, uh, connections to a variety of the top NCAA or CHL or European free agents. What's happening in Abbotsford is, you know, pretty well regarded at the moment. Like you talk to various uh, decision makers, principals involved, and, you know, the the Canucks beefing up the skills coaching in Abbotsford, the uh, involvement of the twins, the how regularly they're down there, uh, the work of Jeremy Colton, like all of this has people within the industry sort of looking at Vancouver as a, as a place with real opportunity to offer you know their clients, and and that matters, right? Like it it matters, particularly given how this club has struggled and the dysfunction that has sort of characterized some of that, not not just this season, but for years now. That like people are looking at Abbotsford and saying, "Hey, there's a chance for any anyone who signs there to have a real shot." That's going to matter because the Canucks really can't afford to leave any stone unturned here. Like this doesn't end at the deadline. Once the deadline passes, then we're going to be waiting for the end of college season. Then mm-hmm. you know they need to go. Like this is why I'd love to see them open up contract slots. I'd love to see them make a pure draft pick trade. Um, you know, in in terms of Luke Shen, because then you also open, like, you need to have those slots. You need to be able to go get these players. Um, and, yeah, I think the Canucks have positioned themselves to do so well, particularly given how things have been managed in Abbotsford in year one under this new regime, I, although ex- it is Ryan Johnson still managing it. I'm excited for um, for the Abbotsford playoffs. I remember last year we were excited, and then it was very anticlimactic. Yeah. Well, they lost two, the two, two games. And done, and well, they lost the two complete. games at the end of the regular season, so they didn't get to host. Yeah. So Abbotsford still never hosted yeah. a Calder Cup playoff home date. I, I don't think they're a lock to do so. I don't know, way. but they are. I don't think they are. But there's they're in a battle to at least do that down the stretch. If they got a chance, I think that would be really cool, especially with some of the pieces uh, that they've added there this year, like Arshdeep Baines and Carlson. You would expect Atu Ratu to be eligible for that, uh, Hoaglander to be eligible for that, etc. Um, you know the other guy, just while we're talking about Abbotsford, we talked about him a lot at training camp and you know how impressive he is just purely as an AHL player. Tristan Nielsen is having a really nice year down in, a- down in Abbotsford, man. 35 points in 51 games. 
still doesn't have an NHL contract. Yeah, he's I believe. But he's that's, a guy you're gonna have that's to that's one I would keep on keep on your radar. You're gonna have to convert him at some point, I think. He's um there's a lot there. There's a lot there. And that's the other thing. The other thing they've done well, they gotta keep doing, um, is really high scoring WHL free agents signed to AHL contracts. Right? Like that's what they've been targeting with uh, Chase Waters, mm-hmm. Tristan Nielsen. Uh they had they took some interesting uh, chances on defensemen. Yeah, Chad Nyberg. Canic Leipert, Sh- uh Schneeman. Yeah. Yeah. So there's um I like that strategy and, and I think there's a chance that it at least produces a guy who signs an NHL contract and maybe eventually down the line plays games for this team. Like Tristan Nielsen's fast, works hard, has a little bit of touch and is annoying as anything. Yeah. Uh, I was just, I hadn't really been keeping tabs with him. I know we were we I get as as I said we talked about him a lot in Whistler, but yeah, he having having himself a really nice second year in the <laughs> AHL. W- w- weird Tristan Nielsen take, but he was at training camp in Abbotsford. That was his first Canucks training camp. Yeah, and um, had like a really good scrimmage on J T Miller, J T Miller's line. Mm-hmm. And when you think about those two guys, passionate. Like, it makes sense that there'd be something there. Just a couple of passionate dudes. <laughs> um, we sh- I, Somebody texted oh, in about it. Hold on. We haven't talked about the game. Well, do you want to do the game now, or do you want to do the Besser stuff now? Oh, uh, let's get the Besser stuff uh, after back. Okay, we'll keep the Besser stuff for later. Let's talk about the game. The Can I just got a point for some reason. I, I fundamentally think we need to deprioritize pre-trade deadline discussions of anyone with term. Like I, just, I get it. I, I just think get it. I just I, I don't want to do, like I don't want to do the making mountains out of molehills speculative stuff. You know, like I can't do another round of I, JT Miller trade well, speculation when and he it, doesn't get dealt. I think JT Miller we we talked about, but relatively limited. There's just not there's a very tiny amount of smoke there, right? With JT Miller, it's yeah. like it's like passing references to it. I think there's a fair amount of smoke with Brock Besser, and we can save it for later. No, no, no. Still, they'd but I love think to do the it. The fact that it keeps coming Sorry, up in different in different situations, they'd love to do it. They'd love to do Besser. They'd love to do Garland. They'd love to do Myers. Like they'd love to do those deals. Don't get me wrong. Like yeah. there's no, this isn't me, this isn't, I, uh, I, sorry, this is me reporting something. Like this is 100% true and has been for a long time. They can't, it, it's too hard to do before March 3rd. So I just, let's deprioritize it and let's talk about Ben Hankinson's commentary <laughs> to Mike Russo a little bit later. Um, okay. Let's, let's do the game now for yes. like seven minutes. The Canucks played badly and then did some really cool stuff late. And I don't know that much more needs to be said than that. You like, know, you it, know what it, 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 it was another one of those Rorschach games where it's like, you can see whatever you'd like. You could see all the defensive flaws like laid bare, but also you saw like, Hey, look, like when these guys have the puck, oh boy, there's skill on this yeah, team. Because Manko played really... The, my one kind of takeaway, and it's not even like relevant to the future of the Canucks or anything about that game, was so often we set up this uh, this false dichotomy between the stats and the eye test, right? And sometimes there is a legitimate dichotomy, right? Like a player will score two goals, but they're kind of lucky and he didn't generate much else, and people will be like, well, okay, yeah, the goals went in, but he didn't have that great a game. Last night, I don't think there's ever been a game where the stats and the eye test align so perfectly. Like, right. no matter what perspective you were watching the game from, you came away thinking Tyler Myers was the worst Canuck and Andre Kuzmenko was the best. And, like, pure eye test, pure stats, whatever you want to use, that is the the cold, hard truth. Myers was brutal. 
Andre Kuzmenko was really good. And it just, this, the stars aligned perfectly in that regard last night. Uh, he was really good. But for me, the coolest part of that game was JT Miller playing seven of the last 11 minutes. Like, this is a difficult activity. Hockey is a, <laughs> NHL hockey is an extraordinarily difficult activity. And to maintain enough fuel in that type of usage to get up on the rush and make like a pinpoint precision play to help tie the game, even though it was Kuzmenko's play, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. but it was Miller who was just like not leaving the ice for seven of 11 minutes at the, at the tail end of that period. Like sometimes you've got to just marvel at an athletic accomplishment and, and more than anything, like that tolerance, the tolerance for pain <laughs> evidenced by that is like, Almost superhuman. Like, as I was watching it on my TV, I was growing increasingly riveted by the human drama of it. Just like doff of the cap. Like, sometimes, often we praise a great performance, and it's because of a goal or a play or, or what have you. But, like, sometimes you've just got to appreciate the raw athletic excellence mm -hmm. shown. That was cool. That I, was like, like, can I say um, ASS on the radio? Sure. It was badass. I don't know. Go for it. Oh. I'm not the censor. You told me I could. Dom says yes. Direct, direct your CRTC. I'm not. I'm not the CRTC. I don't know. No, <laughs> the C, the CRTC does not. That's between. Dress. That's between you and the hey, this, and the government, Drance. No, don't bring me into it. No, no one at the CRTC dresses like they're about to have an alpine romance. <laughs> um. All right. All right. Again, you say that like it's a bad thing. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave people with this. Oh, oh just on JT Miller, I actually thought throughout the game he had a fair bit of. Like, pep, I think is the best way to put it. Which, my biggest problem with JT Miller all season, it's been his skating. And I don't even mean the, like, meme-worthy, viral, he's not back-checking videos. I just mean, even, like, with the puck, he's often been pretty slow. Forecheck, to me, he looks slower than he did last year when he was having so much success. And I thought last last night he was skating really well. And then, obviously, as you said, incredible athletic chops to play 7 of 11 minutes. I think his first step is one of his best skills. To be totally honest with you, but I, I see what you're saying. I think it's probably that the wheels are turning when he's playing center. You kind of have to be deliberate mm. in the middle, and I wonder if maybe he's being too deliberate there as opposed to... To me, it just looks like there's a lot of time where he's trying to slow the game down, right? Which I can understand. There's value to that, right? Yeah, you want to control the game, one of his, especially at center. One right? of his best skills is in that A-frame, people watch him. While his teammates get open, and then he's skilled enough to make the pass. Like, Hundred percent, I get the rationale, but I think he also, as you said, like he has last last season, we saw his ability on the rush to lug the puck, right, yeah. to take the puck to the net. Oh, his first step's one of his best traits. That's been absent yeah. a lot this year, and I thought it was present last the, night. The the big body, the big body, actually fast and and accelerates quick is yeah. like that's that what, what makes J T Miller really dangerous. That. You know, like the shot, the skill stuff, the running, the power play, like that's all there. Don't get me wrong. But like that's what makes JT Miller really unique is uh, a really fast first step, good protect, puck protection instincts and a, a, a wide frame. Like that's a pretty rare combination uh, to be that good at all three things. All right. Losing to Nashville mattered. Obviously it would have been better to not even pick up a point. Uh -huh. But losing to Nashville and making sure they got two mattered. Because the Canucks are going to need the Nashville Predators to finish ahead of the New York Islanders if that pick's going to have any chance of conferring or, into next year. Yes, of rolling over to next year. Correct. Yeah. So, 
this was a big this was a big overtime loss, a big shootout loss for the Canucks. That extra point matters for Nashville. And I wanted to bring this up because I think there's some like like the certainty effect we've talked about mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. going on where people are like, but this draft's better. You'd rather have the 12th pick in this draft or the 13th pick in this draft than the 25th next year. And it's like, yeah, there's there's a real chance that the New York Islanders get their act together despite almost their entire core, except for Matt Barzell being 28 plus um, and being super reliant on a goaltender. Like there's a chance that they make the playoffs next year and you get a lower pick in a worse draft than you otherwise would if that pick doesn't confer. But that asset has a shot to be a game-breaking asset for the Canucks. And there's like three guys, Henry Muse, this Alec kid out of Brandon, mm-hmm. and Lev Shunov out of the USHL. Three guys, right-handed defensemen, six foot two, who are going to be like the next gear under your, your Macklin Celebrini tier in that 2024 class. Plus, there's Macklin Celebrini. This Canucks team is going to get a good asset out of that pick, regardless of yeah. if it's at 13 to through 16 this year or anywhere in the first round next uh, next year. But the chance of it being a franchise-altering asset matters more. The upside of that pick providing maximum value at in the, in the lottery in 2024 – like that's this organization's best chance at this point in addition to winning the lottery this year of like putting some nitrous in an engine that desperately needs it like it's not enough it's not enough to like reach for one of the defenders at the top of the class this year you know like to take cam allen in, in, in the tool man <laughs> in the in the in, you know 18th overall like that that's great that's a, your best defensive prospect it's a good asset mm mm-hmm. But the chance for it to be something major in 2024 is like, at this point, this team's most direct route, right? You make like three premium picks over the next two years. That's like your best, most direct route to contending, you know, before Patterson turns 30. You got to go for the upside, particularly given the situation that this franchise is in. Do not get bogged down in the draft class is better this year than next year, like, Upside. Everything has to be about upside for for a franchise that's as stuck in so many ways. As well, the Vancouver Canucks and are. look, I'm somebody. I would have absolutely no problem if it converts at 13 or 14 or 15 this year. Right? So it, no matter what, it's a good yeah, pick. It's because it's still good. I think the key word you use there is upside. It's the same thing we talk about when you know we say go for a 19 year old prospect versus a, a guy who's 22 and has a couple years in the NHL. Right? Yes, there's more uncertainty with the 19 year old. That's 100 percent accurate, but. When you're acquiring that uncertainty, the flip side is you're also acquiring the upside. Like, the risk and the upside go together. And it's the same with this pick. Yeah, there's risk. There's risk that it could be substantially worse, but there's also the upside that it could be substantially better. Yeah, the, and this is a franchise that desperately needs upside. You could get Cole Eiserman. You could get celebrate. And people are – people. everyone's a scout now. There is no franchise-altering player in the NHL 2024 draft. Like, Cole Eiserman, Macklin Celebrini, and potentially Levshunov are going to be, like, very strong – candidates to go first overall not this isn't like the Patrick Kane and nobody else class Mm. this isn't the nail Yakupov draft class like that's not what it is it's just not 2023 (laughs) right like just 
chill out on this. The, the top end of that draft is still incredible. If you have a shot at that, that's what matters. You're rooting for the pick to convert, in my opinion. If you value upside, what this team should be valuing, what this team should want, is for that pick to convert into next year. That's their best shot at, again, getting some of that nitrous in the engine. Yeah, and just uh, ups, uh, update on where the Islanders stand. They're currently 13th uh, from the la- from bottom, uh, so they would be picking 13th right now, or at least 13th in the lottery standings, uh, ahead of the Florida Panthers, but the Predators jumped up above them with that win. So, so very, very narrow. Yeah. It matters. That that win matters. Nashville, you need Nashville. So they would need probably one of Florida or Washington, although Washington's fading in a big way. So Oof. likely Florida to jump up them to push them down to, uh, to 12th, where that pick would roll fl- over to next year. You can count on Florida. There you go. <laughs> All right, we got to take a break. Uh, Brendan Bachelor will come up, uh, will join us next. Play by play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. It's Jamie Dodd, it's Thomas Drantz, Canucks Insider, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Breaking news. Oh, got some massive... Massive NHL trade deadline. Trade Breaking deadline news. fever. Catch it. I hope you're sitting down. I hope you're sitting down for this one, Drancer. Well, I can see that you are. I am, so yeah. I don't know why I said that. But yes, you I are in fact sitting down. I'm often sitting uh, per cap. <laughs> what else would I be doing? <laughs> per Kevin Weeks uh, of ESPN. The Arizona Coyotes are trading defenseman Dyson Mayo to the Vegas Golden Knights in exchange for a fifth round pick. In 2023, and the contract of defenseman Shea Weber, who of course is on LTIR, will be on LTIR until his contract expires. So there you go. Massive, massive trade breaking in the NHL right now. Another defenseman moves. Deadline season. Well, two, J- two, Jacob Magna and Dyson. Two defensemen. Two That's British true. Columbia defensemen. That's true. Moving a trade with a lot of local flavor. <laughs> so true. Would be more exciting like four years ago <laughs> if it was Shea Weber on the move. The, the Coyotes continue to find ways to buy picks is is effectively like the the newsflash here. And and I you know, um, Shea Weber signed his contract as such a young man that it's obviously going to be insured. So the the money there probably is roughly even mm. that they that they're swapping. And and of course they signed Dyson Mayo to a three year deal less than a million dollar cap hit. So it's like one of those cap neutral contracts if you bury it at any point and as such created value not a lot of value yeah fifth round pick but that's the point that's the point right like the, this this coyotes this coyotes extremely aggressive rebuilding project right like do you know they have 17 picks in the first three rounds over the next three years? oh yeah it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous like truly, this is like Sam Hinkie stuff at this point. The other and thing, why with, not? With them acquiring the Shea Weber deal, is most teams, if you take on that Shea Weber deal, you're you're in LTIR until it expires, right? Right. But like Arizona has so much cap space, they they have the Shea Weber deal, and it's not even putting them up against 
the uh, it's not even putting up uh, up them up against the boundary. So they still have all this cap space to play with. According to CapFriendly.com, because the Coyotes have been tolling cap space all season, do you know how much cap space they have at the deadline? Oh my, I can't. I don't even want to guess. Sixty-six million. <laughs> Face value cap space, <laughs> but even next year they're going to be like 15 million shy of the of the upper limit or something like that. You know, at some point they're going to get enough volume of young players, and Vegmelka is going to steal enough games that they're like in it. And it's like, should we spend some picks to buy? Yeah, and it's like, sure, we can add 90 million dollars worth of cap. It's going to be interesting. It's it'll be hilarious. Yeah. Uh, all right. We. Uh, well, I was going to say we'll talk more about that later, but we won't. No, that we was won't. all. That, that was, was absolutely all it deserves. But yep. we will right now welcome our guy, uh, Canucks play-by-play voice here on Sportsnet 650, Brendan Bachelor, to the conversation. M- Marcus Rashford's biggest fan, Brendan sure. Bachelor. Batch, what's going on, man? Uh, absolutely, Marcus. Marcus Rashford's biggest. Is fan. that absolutely. ironic? Big week. Or big week for United. Because I know Bick, one of our other uh, man, you guys here is not a fan of Marcus Rashford. Wow, are you, are you on board? A take that's aged well. I think you should check in with Bick to see if that is still his take because Marcus Rashford is having an unbelievable season. And big week for United with Barcelona in the Europa League tomorrow and then the Carabao Cup final against Newcastle on Sunday. So could be a really good week. We'll have to wait and see. Very good. Very good. Uh, well, the Canucks played last night. And, you know, we're at the stage of the season where it can be pretty hard to, to draw lots of takeaways from these games. We all know where the Canucks are in the standings, what the priorities are uh, for the rest of the season. What, if anything, stood out uh, about the, over, or the shootout loss to Nashville last night for you? Yeah, I think last night was a game where, you know, we've talked a bit about Rick Tockett kind of coming in and being on a fact-finding mission in terms of getting this team to play with a little bit more structure so that they can determine who will work going forward, who could be a part of, of things long-term, who could be a part of the solution in terms of, you know, this team trying to turn things around and get competitive, and who is someone that is not going to fit. And I thought last night's game sort of separated the, the pretenders from the people that are going to be around. You know, I heard you guys talking about it a few minutes ago. Obviously, Tyler Myers had a, a horrendous game. Uh, one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. Uh, the other side of things, Andre Kuzmenko was really good. JT Miller, I thought, had one of his better games in recent weeks, too. And Brock Besser had a bit of jump in his step that I liked as well. So, um, you know, it's one game. There's, what, 25 left now. So there'll still be plenty of time for Rick Tockett to learn about his players and I think probably learn about how they deal with adversity if we see more players moved off this roster before the trade deadline in terms of, you know, you look at that defense core last night and without Luke Shen, suddenly it, it lacked a certain level of bite that you would hope to have. Um, but, you know, seeing how your players deal with tough times or frustration or things not going their way, uh, I think is something that's going to be important for Talkit and for this management group going forward. And at least last night, they pushed back against that adversity and found a way to force the game to overtime and eventually the shootout, even though they weren't able to win. So, um, you know, in terms of the guys that are that are pulling on the rope, I thought it was a good night in terms of, you know, finding a way to get something out of a game where I thought, to be honest, they were outplayed for most of the 60 minutes. It feels like the Canucks have had a lot of these types of wins and in fact are now tied well sorry they didn't even get the win right but they are tied 
among the league leaders in wins when trailing after two periods. Is there something you can take that's a positive from that? Or is it a factor of if you give enough teams a shot <laughs> to blow leads, leading after two periods, you're eventually going to rack up a ton of those wins? Yeah, that's that's what I take away from it is when you're trailing after two periods in most of your games, you're going to find a way to win the odd one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, as I was just talking about, there is something to be gleaned from a team that doesn't quit. And, you know, there have been performances this season where the Canucks have gone quietly into that good night. Um, but last night was not one of them. And we have seen games where they fight to the end, whether it means that they come from behind to win or not. So, you know, that element is there with this team to be that sort of no-quit hockey club that, you know, they may not win every night, but they're going to make you work for it. That That is there. But it's also, you know, we've seen those games sprinkled in where they lay a complete egg, like the game against Seattle in Tockett's second game, like the, the second game against the Red Wings in that back-to-back in particular. So the way this team is currently constructed, they still have the absolute potential to do both on any given night. And it's kind of up to you to guess what's going to happen. <laughs> but I think, I choose your own you adventure. Know, go, yeah, exactly. It is. Yeah. Um, but going forward, as they try to get Target to work with this group, try to get, you know, the, the players on the roster that they don't think are going to fit out so that they can bring in guys that are going to be a part of the solution, you would hope that you see more of that never-quit, never-die team and less of that lay-a-complete-egg team going forward. Okay, so I'm going to read you a couple stats and just get your reaction, okay? This is very much in line with what we've already been talking about. The Vancouver Canucks, when leading after one period, have a 500 win percentage. <laughs> On the season. That's second worst in the NHL because the San Jose Sharks somehow, 3-5-3, leading after one. Um, When leading after two periods, the Canucks win percentage is 71.4%. So only only, uh, 70% of the time with a lead going into the third do the Canucks actually get two points. Only the San Jose Sharks and somehow the Pittsburgh Penguins are worse than them this year. Um. Is this just a matter of no lead is safe either way when the Canucks are involved? Yeah, it's choose your own adventure, like we were talking about. Right? <laughs> I, I know you hate don't give me don't give me the Travis can... Green as I said. Come on. Yeah. Well, I was going to say I know you hate the phrase anything can happen, but when it comes to the Canucks <laughs> on the ice in game, literally anything can happen. That, that's kind of what we've seen. But you know, I, I think it speaks to a team that that is you know, a bit a bit fragile in terms of, you know, that stat, particularly the first period stat to me is mind-blowing because there are teams around this league, and yes, they are generally contenders, but not always, that are like money in the bank to win if they lead after the first period. And the fact that the Canucks are, are not even close to that, you said 500, I think, right? Yeah. Like that that is, is staggeringly low because generally speaking – uh, and I'm going to steal a line from Bill Wilms, who does the color commentary with, you know, Vancouver Giants games, who I called games with for many years as well. Um, everybody says hockey's a 60-minute game. It's usually a 40-minute game, and sometimes it's a 20-minute game in terms of the fact that more often than not, 
by a large percentage, the team that leads after two periods wins. So, you know, again, it speaks to this Canucks team's lack of ability to put together 60 minutes. But I would like to see, and you probably don't have this offhand, Drancer, but I would like to see how that compares to how the league is swaying in terms of teams coming from behind to win. Because it does feel, and maybe it just feels this way because we follow the Canucks and it happens a lot, but it feels like there have been way more blown leads and come from behind wins across the NHL, not just with the Canucks. Well, but they're out for sure. They're gonna, yeah, absolutely. So they, they certainly have to you know, get to the point where they can roll out a good 60-minute effort on a consistent basis, where if they do lead going into the third period, it's pretty close to money in the bank with the odd slip-up. But this is a team that's nowhere near that right now. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of change before they can get to that point, I would imagine. Yeah, and just, just for your out of, out of your interest, I don't have the league average, but the median, uh, the median for an average team would be about 73% winning rate after leading after 20 minutes and just to back up your claim about those teams that um are money in the bank if they're up after 20 uh, a boa constrictor teams the boston bruins have <laughs> led after one 31 times number of regulation losses zero only one ot loss at when they uh, led after 20 minutes tampa bay uh only uh so, sorry similarly uh 19 0 and 1 when they when they take an early lead over their opponents, um, I don't think the identity of those teams surprises anyone either. No, and slightly different than the Canucks <laughs> when where they are right now. And Batch, you know, I think another part of this, I, I think a lot of it is the Canucks have good scores and poor goaltending this year, so it creates this environment where there's going to be a lot of volatility. I think also recently, I mean, the atmosphere in these Canucks games, the intensity is not exactly off the charts, right? Because their opponents are not looking at the Canucks as, oh, this is a big game on our schedule that we really have to get up for. And I know, you know, Rick Talkett was talking about Nashville the other day saying, well, they're still in a playoff race, so it's a big game for them. But I just don't get the sense that teams are taking the Canucks particularly seriously right now. And I think that makes it a little bit harder to uh, evaluate some of the things that Talkit is trying to do, some of the players the Canucks do have around as well, right? When you're not playing in these kind of high-pressure, intense environments. No, exactly. And this is the time of year where, you know, oftentimes, you know, and maybe this year will be different because of some of the injuries and the fact that they're sellers going into the trade deadline. But oftentimes, to the, you know, the frustration of Team Tankets, the Canucks go on a run late in the year. And, you know, to a certain extent, that happened last year under Boudreaux, and to a certain extent, people read into it too much as being more of the truth of what the Canucks actually were than what we've seen them be to this point in the season. Um, the other thing, and I think you're, you're right to sort of point this out, is particularly with the true contenders. So, yeah. you know, oftentimes when it's a team on the playoff bubble, they're playing for their playoff lives, and in that since I was rather disappointed with the effort the Predators put forth last night as a team that should be incredibly desperate. You know, what was it? They were seven points out of a playoff spot going into the game last night, and they had two or three games in hand on all of the teams above them. So, you know, still within striking distance, mathematically not looking great for them, but they're not, you know, completely ruled out yet. This should be 100%. We have to win as many games as possible, desperation time of the year for the Predators, and I didn't think they played that way. And, you know, maybe part of that is due to injuries, 
part of that, I'm sure, is just due to the, the lack of quality on their roster, that they aren't really a playoff-caliber team and so in all likelihood aren't going to get there. But, you know, counteractive to that, when the Canucks play a true contender at this time of the year, so like when we saw the Rangers or, you know, we're going to see the Bruins this coming Saturday, those teams right now that are basically locked in know they're going to the playoffs, are trying to get their game in form and peak at the right time, they oftentimes only play as hard as they have to against teams that are in the situation that the Canucks are in. And I think we've seen that from some of the contenders that they've played recently where, you know, these are clubs that could absolutely come in and and pick them apart and, and blow them completely out of the building by, you know, a large margin. But what do they do? They get a two- or three-goal lead early. They start on time. The Canucks don't start on time. They score some early goals, and then they shut it down, and they play defensively, and they do what those teams that we were talking about that are money in the bank to win games when they get early leads, they just shut the game down. They put it into autopilot mode. They stick to their structure, and the Canucks aren't a good enough team on most nights to break through that. Now, last night was an exception against a natural team that is, you know, flawed in many degrees not quite as much as the Canucks but certainly you know in in the same ballpark but you know the New York Rangers don't let you come from behind when when you're up they're up by two goals against you you know as Vancer was alluding the Lightning the Bruins these are the kind of teams that once they get an early lead the game might as well be over and and that's sort of what we've seen I think at times and what we should expect to see down the stretch so you know again you're right, maybe they end up playing a Bruins team this weekend and, you know, it's a it's a one- or two-goal game. But at the same time, uh, I don't imagine that in a game like that, the Bruins will ever look like they're in danger of losing it. Batch, I want to talk about the Team Tank thing because you've got my antennae uh, up. Uh, anytime tanking is discussed. Because the, the Boudreaux thing, the Boudreaux bump thing, that's one thing, right? I mean... Frankly, the Canucks ended up drafting a guy 15th overall in, in Jonathan Lekaramaki, Le- who they probably would have taken a few slots higher anyway. Like, at that point in the draft, it's it's kind of whatever. But the one that sticks out to me, the one that stands out in my craw as like, oh no, oh no, I, I don't want to see that again, was 2021. And l- let me just remind everyone of the scene. The playoffs had already begun elsewhere, and the Canucks, because of the COVID pause, um, had to play four games on the, on the way out of that season, and they picked up five points across those eight games, powered by Matthew Highmore's scoring streak. And as a result, like, if they lose one more game, one more regulation game, they would have picked ahead of Detroit, who got Simone Edvinson, San Jose, who got William Eklund, L.A., who got Brant Clark, um, like and Columbus, who got Kent Johnson. I mean... Uh, how how do you think Canucks fans should regard the the balance of this season from a how you react to wins and losses perspective? Well, that's a tough question to answer because I'm not someone who wants to dictate to anyone how they should feel. So for people that you know like enjoying a good hockey game and want to see their team win, I think that's okay. For fans that are looking at the Connor Bedard sweepstakes and saying the fewer amount, the fewest amount of points we pick up, the best. I think that's okay too. <laughs> but what what I'm going to say though is set your expectations at a, spurt, a certain level if you are team tank, 
because of some of those things I talked about already, whereby oftentimes teams with nothing to play for get on runs late in the season because, you know, they, they don't have any pressure on them and it's about trying to impress the coach. And, and we've certainly seen some of that from the Canucks in terms of their improved play since Talkett has arrived. But also look at strength of schedule. They've got the St. Louis Blues tomorrow, which on paper, you know, with what St. Louis is doing in terms of, of moving Ryan O'Reilly out, that's probably a game that they should win. They've got the Ducks, what, two, three more times, I think. They've got the Coyotes a couple of times. They've got the Blackhawks a couple of times. They still face the Sharks. And there's only 25 games left. So if I'm not mistaken, I think eight of the final 25 are against teams that are right around them or even below them in the standings, including the final two games, or sorry, three of the final five games of the year against Chicago, Anaheim, and Arizona. So, you know, with where this Canucks team is at, could they lose a a solid chunk of those games? Certainly they could. I think Arizona's been playing a lot better of late, so those games may not be the, uh, the automatic wins that people might have thought they would be. But there is still the potential for this team to play its way out of uh, a situation where they're giving themselves the best chance to draft Connor Bedard or at least draft as high as possible in the draft. So, you know, I, I understand saying, you know, you don't want the team to pick up points because you you want them to draft as high as possible. But at the same time, with 25 games left in the year, the Canucks aren't going to lose the ball. In, in all likelihood, they're going to be around the 500 mark in these final 25 games, you know, if not above it, based on some of the teams that they have to play. So set your expectations at a certain level if that is the way that you're following this team right now. Hey, and brace for disappointment, right? <laughs> Either way, brace for disappointment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always like to brace for disappointment so that if something good happens, then it's a nice surprise. And if nothing good happens, then you're not disappointed because you were expecting it anyway. So well, there you go. And I can tell uh, tell you they finished their Batch's season. wager, by the way. They can finish their season with, ga- with games against Anaheim and Arizona. Arizona is the last game of the season. So that's going to be a real confusing barn burner to call Batch, I'm sure, <laughs> with, with what the stakes <laughs> could be for that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it'll, it'll be interesting because – you know, the only year that the Canucks have played in the playoffs since we've started doing the games was the bubble yeah. season. So we didn't have that, like, late stretch run where it's like, oh, they need these two points to try and get in the playoff spot or, you know, the final game of the year. If they win, then they'll face this team, and if they lose, then they'll face this other team that they don't want to face. We've never had the chance to call those kind of games, so maybe the inverse of that with a game that they need to lose at the end of the season is the closest we're going to get for now. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, all right, Batch. That's uh, that's a good way to end uh, <laughs> to end this hit. I think. Oh, Looking sorry. Ahead. You know what? Let me let me jump oh, in. I, I want I thing. want one more one more question uh, that I want to ask Batch, and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. So, um, <laughs> I, I'm asking for your patience. I'm asking for your patience in advance. No wrong way to be a fan, as per Batch's doctrine, right? <laughs> but is it? There's a big butt coming here. Yeah, there it is. Okay, okay. But what's the more pessimistic point of view? Being like, oh man, the Canucks have Anaheim and Arizona on the way out. That's going to mess up their tank. Or the Canucks have Arizona and Anaheim on their way out. They control their own destiny here. What's the more pessimistic <laughs> point of view here? I don't know. 
<laughs> so I have I have the ultimate pessimistic point of view, which was floated to me by uh, our our program manager, our fearless leader, Canberra, this morning when we were talking about this, which is that the Canucks will lose to Arizona on the final day of the season, which will secure the Canucks better lottery odds than the Coyotes, but then Arizona will win the lottery and get Connor Bedard. That, that's the ultimate nightmare scenario thrown out there by Canberra. Pain. pain. <laughs> yes. In a word, pain. pain. Absolutely. What a sicko. <laughs> we'll wrap up. <laughs> we'll wrap up I, on I, that one. Yeah, I'm actually going to have to go away and think about that question, Drancer. It's like something. <laughs> it's like a philosophical conundrum that I'm going to have to mull over here. So maybe the next time you guys have me on, ask me again, and I might have figured out the answer to it by then. Next time we have Batch on, it's just going to be like, Batch, why? <laughs> <laughs> Batch just has to go ponder a little bit. <laughs> we'll let you do just that, buddy. Talk soon, man. Thanks, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, that is Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Canucks. This <laughs> play-by-play guy- voice and tremendous yeah, sport philosopher yes well, well, no, but also just putting up with the with questions us? i yeah. ask yeah uh this yeah, person texts in finally games that matter in april um <laughs> i've thought a lot wow. of course as has everyone here at, at 650 and i think batch probably most of all is the play-by-play voice about the fact that the only playoff games we've had in the existence of the station were in the bubble i'd never thought about that next level of it the batch was talking about that because of when the season was cut off there, you didn't even have those really meaningful games at the end of the season where people are excited in, and you were able to call those. Like, man, that's tough. That's I, tough. So I know you're not watching The Last of Us. I am not. Okay, but I'm going to – so spoiler alert. Care. You can spoiler spoil alert. it for me, though. There's no, there's no real spoiler alert. Um, the main character, p- played by Pablo Pascal, mm-hmm. like at the point that we're at in the series now, it's like he's spent the last five months – sort of like trekking through the wilderness and like hearing lots of gunshots and like sleeping on the ground. And he's like slowly, not just losing his fastball, but like coming apart at the seams. He's like beginning (laughs) to have panic attacks. He looks terrible. And they've like really made it apparent that like, you know, this journey is wearing on him in like pretty realistic ways. Like, oh yeah, I've walked most of the way from Missouri to Wyoming and I feel terrible. It's like, yeah, fair enough. Um, and, And I was thinking about it Cause I often think about like my checklist and like all the things mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. like he's the Canucks. <laughs> the last decade we've been walking from Missouri to Wyoming, and and now it's you know the reckoning that I've talked about this season. Right, this is this is where we're at. The Canucks bleeding out at the cliffhanger of the episode. Pedro Pascal. What did I call him? It Pablo. Oh wow, that's terrible. I'm sorry. I'm it's a big that, fan. It's not that terrible. No, I just I literally just misspoke. I I, I knew that it was. Pedro Pascal. Anyway, big fan. Uh, all right, somebody texted He's an awesome in. cowboy. Uh, yeah, he's a great actor. He's awesome. <laughs> but he's especially good when he plays some type of cowboy. Okay, sure. Just <laughs> space cowboy. <laughs> or, 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 like, or like wine country cowboy with poison-tipped spears. Like he's always sort of some variation of cowboy. <laughs> we got a big definition of cowboy here. I love it. Uh, somebody texted in earlier, uh, thank you guys for not doing trade speculation because they find it boring. Uh, you're I the think only you're one. You're in a very small minority. First of all, we do do trade speculation, uh, and I, I got to apologize in advance because we'll do a little more of it on the other side as well. Keep your thoughts coming into six fifty six fifty. Another commentator complimenting me on my restraint. Yeah, you love to see it. <laughs> that's, that's, so many of those come in all the time, complimenting you on your restraint. People are always saying, "Yeah, people are always saying that Drancer so restrained in his commentary." <laughs> uh, final segment of the show coming up: Sportsnet six fifty. 
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Quick update on Dom's bet. It's going badly. Yeah. This is the end. Eden Dezeko, the end of the heater for well, Dom. I'm still going to tell him uh, going forward, but Eden Dezeko has been subbed off, killing the ticket. Uh, you know, the the double same game was was a little cocky, Dom. Yeah. He flew too close to the sun. You did, yeah. Icarus. You got to rein it in. Rein it in for next time. It was the heat check that didn't Get work Get back out. to basics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right. You're pulling up from the logo. I appreciate that, You though. need to get open on a spot up for next time. Hey, look, if you're going to go big... Go big. Yeah, you know? sure. Uh, NHL trade deadline coverage brought to you by Maui Jim Sunglasses, born on the beaches of Hawaii. Maui Jim Sunglasses are designed with polarized plus two lenses that protect eyes from harmful rays and enhance the view. Try on a pair and see for yourself. Uh, Chet and Burnaby texted in, that drancer is so passionate about showing restraint. <laughs> <laughs> Chet and Burnaby. Uh, I also it. I gotta get this in, and I know you brought it up on the show yesterday, but I, the brand is strong, Drancer, because uh, Tanov's Grill at Shakespeare six oh four uh, tagged both of us in a tweet from the World Hockey Report, uh, reporting that Gavin McKenna has twenty points in three games at the Canada Winter Games. I just love that <laughs> we see it out there in the wild. It's like oh, I gotta tag, I gotta tag Drance and Dot on this one. What's up, Gavin McKenna? Gavin stock. McKenna's stock. Well, Gavin McKenna's stock has always been up on this show. No kidding. It's, it, it can't go much higher, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, what are we even going to do in his draft year? <laughs> well, we'll see. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, buddy. <laughs> I hope we're on the air for next year, all right? Let alone 2026. Fair enough. But we'll see. We'll see uh, what we do in his draft year. Um, okay. I, I did want to get this in. And I know you're saying let's de-emphasize the idea of the Canucks moving uh, players guys with term, with term. and yeah. I think that's fair I think that's completely fair because it is obviously very very difficult we're well, seeing how difficult I, it is. I also just don't want to set up like I don't want to set up a universe where like if only they'd cleared cap space at the deadline you know like it's right not something I'm going to be critical of if they can't do like I just don't think they can do it if they do like hey li- little star sticker on your cheek good job but man, it's I'm not expecting it. I don't yeah, think I don't think it's possible. It shouldn't be the expectation that there's going we're gonna hit Friday and there's going to be this parade of moves that open up caps. Space right. For I don't the think it's even a realistic like not that it's not a realistic possibility, but I certainly don't think it's a realistic probability. Anyway, but with anyways, that, I, with that I, I wanted, said, those qualifiers. I wanted sort to get into this one for the kind of basic trade speculation reasons, but also just because I find the form it's coming in very interesting. Anyways, uh Brock Besser's agent, Ben Hankinson. And by the way, I feel like we know more about the agents for Canucks players than most NHL markets and fan bases do. Like, we're very familiar. I almost feel like I don't even have to caption Ben Hankinson with, like, he's Brock Besser's agent anymore. People just know, oh, Ben Hankinson. Yeah, I know who that is. But anyways, uh, Ben Hankinson, Brock Besser's agent, was on the uh, the athletic hockey show uh, this week. <laughs> <laughs> what? Who do you think? Which agent has the highest Q rating in the Vancouver market? Well, it's either Hankinson or Milstein. Uh, it's got to be Milstein. It's got to right? be Milstein. Yeah. With the number of clients. Or is it Walsh? How... Even though he doesn't rep a single... Actually, that's not true. The Canucks acquired someone who has... Bovillier? No. Um, I don't know. I don't remember. I thought they did, but maybe they didn't. Okay. Well, we'll look into that. Yeah. But uh, I would say I would say probably Milstein, because Hankinson's more just naturally reserved than Milstein. Milstein's out there. 
He enjoys the engagement. Yeah. Anyways, he was on. He does uh, photoshops. Yes, exactly. Hankinson was on the Hankinson was on the athletic hockey show uh, today, actually talking about a variety of different things, and obviously specifically Brock Besser's situation and whether the Wild uh, are interested. And this is uh, according to the write up uh, from Michael Russo and Joe Smith at the Athletic, who says uh, Ben Ank- Ben Hankinson said he's been in contact with Wild general manager Bill Guerin about trying to find a way to make it work. That is the Wild. Acquiring Brock Besser, he says, they're trying to move some things around, potentially. More importantly, are they inside the playoffs? Uh, Where are they sitting? Does Billy want to add, or could could he be a potential seller? And then he goes on to say, uh, but where does Brock Besser fit? I think he fits in perfectly as a top six scoring wing, but there are other pieces in play. There are rumors that Greenway could be going. Obviously, the whole Dumbo rumors. Kalen Addison has been scratched a little bit, too. There's a ton at play. That is straight from... Ben Hankinson. So I think, obviously, look, we've heard the Brock Besser to Minnesota rumors over and over again throughout the years because of his connection being from there. It makes sense on that level. So that's not particularly newsworthy, although always interesting to see the agent out there on the record confirming, yep, I have talked to the Wilds GM about trying to make this fit. I also just find it fascinating, again, like how direct and upfront Hankinson is being about the process and... Even so, going so far as he's almost playing insider here. Like, he's relaying the reports and rumors about what might have to happen uh, to make it make sense. You know, like, maybe Greenway. Maybe Dumba. I've heard Dumba out here. I don't know if I can really remember a similar situation. And I think it speaks, one, to the degree of want from both sides, the Canucks and Brock Besser, to get this done, if at all possible, before the deadline. But it also speaks to the difficulty of it, right? That it's gotten to this point where there's this kind of open, in public detailing of the process and what's going into it. There's a desire to make it happen, but to your point, Drancer, it might just be too hard to actually get it done before the deadline. Yeah, I also think there's a pretty unique level of control um, that the club has ceded to Ben in terms of trying to facilitate this deal, right? So, you know, when he says, I mean... Usually if it's like an agent has been given permission to help find a, you know, it's like for a, for a Mike DiPietro as opposed to like a star level player like yeah. a Brock Besser. Um, and also it usually resolves relatively quickly or it happens in the off season where it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And that, that neither, none of those things have been the case here. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really unique spot all around for Brock, for Ben and for the Canucks as well. Yeah, and then he kind of wraps up with this. Uh, there'd have to be a lot. This is, again, straight from Ben Hankinson. There'd have to be a lot of salary retained by Vancouver, and I don't think that's something they're too excited to do because they just signed Brock Besser. Billy would have to have them eat a big, big chunk of that $6.65 million to fit him in next year and the year after because that's when the cap gets really tight for the Wilds. Of course, he is referring to Wild GM Bill Guerin when he says Billy there. And, yeah, with the Prize and Suter buyouts, Obviously, we all know about Minnesota's uh, cap issues for next year. It's difficult for me to see uh, a way that it works out, but there you go. That's the latest update from Ben Hankinson. He's talked to Minnesota, but as even he admits, there's a lot of roadblocks to uh, that potentially getting done. I still wouldn't be shocked if after Timo Meyer is dealt. Like, we talked about the defenseman standoff, right, with Gavrikov sitting out, Chikorin sitting out, now Shen sitting out, right, and we're all just waiting to see who, when does this guy actually, when does the first guy get dealt, when does that first domino start to fall. It still wouldn't shock me if after Timo Meyer is moved, 
if maybe we start to hear about some other teams at the very least kicking tires on Brock Besser. And again, I understand all the reasons why it wouldn't happen. But if there is a little bit of wiggle room on the Canucks retaining salary, not 50% or anything like that, a million, 1.5 to get it down to around five, I can see if a team strikes out on Meyer, but they come calling on Brock Besser before the deadline. No one's adding term. All right. Like, just no one's adding term. I, no one's – the only teams that have done it in, like, since September 1, I mean, you can go even further back. It's like Bjorkstrand and the Dickinson-Stillman swap. And that's about it. Like, teams uh, – I guess, you know what? Vegas just added term in Dyson Mayo. Uh-huh. Yes, very, very limited term and money. On under a million dollars. Yeah. Right? Like, literally under the 1.15 level you can bury. So – you know, I just don't think term moves in season anymore, um, and I don't think it will until we have a sense of where exactly the cap is going. What's your sense, then, of how likely it becomes at the draft, let's say, or or at the very least in the summer? More likely. Yeah. But, like, is it is it – does the likeliness increase to where it should be the expectation that it will get done, right? Not that it becomes easy, necessary, but it becomes at least – easy enough that it reaches that threshold where hey if this is something you want to do you can do it yeah i mean i I think at the draft if you're motivated well look if you're motivated enough to do anything you can do it um but you know could it mean taking back an inferior player with more term or the same amount of term right like it that's sort of what it comes down to right like at the end of the day ben hankinson can work as hard as he wants to find trade ideas for the canucks but he can't do the trade no (laughs) you know like that still falls on the canucks so like, could Ben find teams willing to take Besser for XYZ? Sure. Could he find something that also the Canucks are willing to do? Um, yeah, I, I think at the draft you probably could, but I think it's going to involve either eating money or taking back a worse player with similar money or or more term. And then it's, you know, do the Canucks have the appetite for that? And, and this is going to be sort of a rolling issue for the club because, like, you know – I mean, I've reported this before, and it's it's true, and so I'll say it again, but it's like, you you know, if you wanted Anthony Beauvillier for a mid-round pick... You could have had it. You could have had him. Yeah. And, like, you watch him play with the Canucks, it's like, that's a good player. I mean, he's not a top-line winger, but he's a good player. No, he's a guy you can put in the, in a very specific position, and he's going to produce from there, right? Is, like, he has that base level well, of talent. And I think up. he's versatile enough that he can play. Like, if you need him on a ch- third checking line, he can do that. If you need him complementing a star player like Elias Pettersson, he can do that. If you need him on a two-way uh, second line, I think he can do that, too. Like, he's he's a good player. And he was basically available, not, not for free, but next to it. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that that's all you need to know about where the league's at, right? Like, these guys are seen by teams as fungible, particularly when they have term committed to them, because a guy with term limits your options elsewhere, right? And, you know, unfortunately, the league really figured this out and started to be, to act on it just at a tough moment in which the Canucks, you know, were trying to get out of a bunch of things, right? And that brings you to the Oliver ekman Larson trade, and that brings you to a variety of inconvenient spots where where the club currently lives with you know do you need me to go over it <laughs> no let's not do few it. tradable assets <laughs> okay, weak prospect you're gonna, pool you're gonna do it all right all right no cap flexibility and a, and a team that's tied with the arizona coyotes for points despite you know the coyotes being in an extreme future-oriented posture yep and um you know 
<laughs> the Canucks trying to win. Canucks right now, not so much being in an extreme future-oriented p- posture. But I guess that does – the thing with Brock Besser, as you said, if you're motivated – like if you're strictly motivated to move the player, there are ways that you can make that happen. It's just a question of what are you actually willing to do to accomplish that. And this text comes in, uh, 650-650, unsigned. Am I the only one that doesn't think their clearing of the cap space will be worth it? I just know they'll sign free agents when we want them to weaponize the cap. And I think that point, and that's that's a concern that I've had as well, right? It's all great in theory to open up the cap space. My question is, what happens on July 1st when the free agent market opens and you have, you know, 15 million in extra cap space to work with, right? Do you get the itchy trigger finger and decide to start going big on July 1st again all of a sudden? But I think it ties into the Besser conversation as well because it's a question of what's your goal in moving Besser, right? Like what are you trying to accomplish? Is yeah. it is it we don't think this player is going to be good for us, so we're desperately trying to get them off the roster? Or is it we're looking for more creative, efficient ways we could use that cap space once we clear them out? Because if it's the latter then yeah, you shouldn't be hyper-motivated to be giving up assets and retaining salary and all that, right? Like, you should be approaching it from the perspective of we want to clear every last penny we possibly can of that cap space so we can do all these creative things with it. But that's the question, is what is their motivation ultimately for doing it? It's a good point. It's a good point. Um, The... So, yeah, like... Not to, like, open my menchies and go to, like, Drance's Twitter Grievance Corner, but, I you know, I had someone say, you know, uh, in in reaction to my Halford and Bruff hit yesterday, mm-hmm. right, where where I'd sort of outlined that, you know, I, I think the problems on defense are so intractable that this team needs to rebuild, and, and they commented back, like, hey, that's a defeatist attitude, right? There's three roster positions the team has to fix, you know? If you, if you get rid of all this bad money and then commit to... Uh, XYZ players, right? Like if you commit to, um, you know, Orlov, Severson, mm-hmm. Nick Jensen, and like use two of the club's, you know, three first round picks in the next two years on D, like you should be able to do it. Um, But are you really going to pay to get off inefficient money just to spend more money inefficiently? Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> like... That doesn't to spend on, you know, 30-year-old UFA defensemen. Hey, it's a strategy preferred by many NHL teams, but it doesn't make it a good strategy. No. And I think to to the Canucks credit, as you were pointing out with um as we've talked about with the Bo Horvat trade, right? Yeah. The Bo Horvat trade did not look like that. No. It did not look like that approach. It was a future It was a very trade. much a future oriented. Now we'll see. I think the Luke Shen return is going to be fascinating. Well, and, and here's the thing, right? Like the Bo Horvat trade, the logic of it requires the team to continue to marshal their resources in this direction. If it's just a one-off that you're backed into the corner into making one future-oriented move, like you're not gonna get you're not gonna get what you need out of the next few years in terms of accumulation, in terms of having an actual cogent direction, right? In terms of playing chess as opposed to playing whack-a-mole and just dealing with the topics as they crop up, um, you know, with the action. So I think the I, I think the fundamental sort of uh, I've lost my train of thought here but the fundamental thing that we need to look for from the Canucks is just beginning to shape a plan that makes sense. Like that yeah. like at the end of the day that's still what I'm looking for is to detect like we're I'll, still we're still reading the tea leaves. 
in a large in a in a big respect. No, I don't. I think it's it's more than that though. It's like the tea leaves are muddled. You know, like the signs are muddled. You can't yeah. understand the Horvat trade in the context of the Miller extension and the Mikhaev contract, right? And the sort of age gap trades that the club have have made and say that's a holistic strategy that seems like it's got a good chance of working. Right? And like like at the end of the day, that's like the big picture stuff, the lack of clarity that, you know, in addition to some optics errors, have I think put this front office under fire pretty quickly, like in their first year on the job. And I think that's why one of the biggest questions I have right now about the Canucks is how much has their own evaluation of their plan and what their plan should be changed because of this season. Oh, but but so much. I mean, we already know that. Like the you know, the Friedman quote from earlier this week, which you quite sagely pointed out, like, is that clear? Yeah. Right? Like they're clearly rebuilding around Pedersen and Hughes. It's like, really? Cause uh, a year ago, Are they? a year ago, it was franchise goalie Thatcher Demko, and, and then best player JT six Miller. Six months later, it was J- best player JT Miller, and now it's we're rebuilding around Pedersen Hughes. It's like. So are are you doing the like what Churchill said of America thing, like exhausting all, all the coming to the right decision after exhausting all other <laughs> options? You know, and, what a and, pull. and this is the problem. This is the problem that we bump into, and sort of the repeated focus I've had on the big picture, which is you know there's been lots of hockey moves that this front office has done that I've liked. Right, the Abbotsford stuff stands out to me as being interesting, but I still can't detect like a consistent or or coherent through line that I can grab onto. And and what does that create? That creates a world where, like, I'm hopeful they'll come up with a creative solution to maximize their value for Shen. Mm. But it's going to take years of smart moves before the club's going to start making moves that I'm like, hey, that makes sense. Or, hey, I don't see what they see in that guy, but. like you, To earn the benefit of the debt. Trust is earned. Yeah. And with the way that the season has unfolded and the club's stated goals and the fact that there was such an obvious off-ramp when you changed management team to change management teams to change direction and instead it felt consistent or a part of what had come before, you know, doesn't exactly lend confidence to where we stand or where the Canucks stand currently. Uh, and I think that gets to the point about this kind of concern about what's going to happen in free agency, right? If they do have salary cap space, which I think is con- absolutely valid. As you said, we're going to have to see them exercise that discipline before fans stop being concerned about that sort of thing. Uh, John and new West uh, text in, would you guys be okay with spending on July 1st for Ryan Graves? It's, this is not about Ryan Graves in particular. I would be so incredibly wary about going out on July 1st and signing anyone at any position to a, to, a, to a significant deal, given the position the team is in. It would have to be such a phenomenal opportunity, such a like hyper-specific situation where you're getting this incredible value for it to really make sense for the Canucks. Otherwise, it should be one, two-year deals, right, that are really cheap, that are really easy to move if it doesn't work out. I just don't think they're good enough to justify the type of risk that pretty much any long-term or even medium-term UFA contract represents. Like, they're all so risky. It's not even about Ryan Graves. It's about basically any player that's going to be on the market. There's enormous risk to doing that shopping on July 1st. I don't think they're in a place where they can justify that well, and, risk. And the last thing is, remember Luke Shen. 
Okay, so Luke Shen, we, we started the show with Luke Shen. Yeah. Luke Shen may be dealt in the next, by the time we record our show tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we'll, and we'll, you know, he's been great to cover. He's been a cult hero in this city, and he's played really well. Remember Luke Shen. What should you remember about Luke Shen? Luke Shen was the third highest paid player at his own position the day the Canucks signed him and has been by far the most impactful at the NHL level and will return the most in a yep. trade once, whenever this is completed. So as the Canucks look Do to, that again. Keep doing that. And re- remember the lesson of Luke Shen. Your best free agent signing is your third best free agent signing <laughs> on the day of. The third cheapest So guy. don't even do the other two. Uh, that's it for us today. We're back tomorrow. You've got it on Sportsnet 650.